Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the exciting book of Numbers. And if you think I'm joking, wait till you see it. So, a couple of things to get out of the way first with Numbers. Listen, there's, I I think that there's a dividing line, okay? So, there's two schools of thought in in the churches today, and uh, about two out of three churches tend to allegorize everything, like anytime they're unsure about something, it didn't really happen, it's just a symbol of things. And what you will see today in the book of Numbers is that it is filled with the supernatural, okay? Things that cannot be logically explained, and I don't care how many History Channel producers try to come up with this, well, back then there was like this solar thing, you know, they're always trying, listen, God did it. Because listen, I don't have to prove to you what the Bible says. Read it yourself. If you disagree with what the Bible says, you have to prove to me that that's not what God meant. Okay? So, anyway, I just have to get that out of the way. Man, God is so wondrous in his stuff because Jesus even tells us, with man it's impossible but nothing is impossible with God. So let's dive in. The book of Numbers is the fourth book in what is called the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible written by the prophet Moses, starting in Genesis. It does the creation account, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and then you have the Exodus. Well, you got, even in Genesis, you got the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the story of Jacob's 12 sons, Joshua going to Egypt, and then Exodus starts 400 years later with the Israelites are now enslaved. Uh, Most theological people say somewhere between three and five million of them. I tend to be closer to the three million, as a matter of fact, but you know, whatever. There's a bunch of them. So we studied the Exodus and how the 10 plagues that ultimately resulted in the Israelites going free wasn't just 10 plagues, it was a God duel. And and the Bible has God duels. A a real famous one is Elijah in the battle of the prophets of Baal, right? Where they go out there and say, what can your God do? And and the people say, well, Baal can do this. And Elijah's like, do it. Well, of course they can't, and God does. So there's all types of these things, and and we read about that in Exodus. Then, last week, we covered the exciting book of Leviticus. And if you weren't here from it, you might be surprised at just how good Leviticus can be if you'll open up your mind and, and hear God's word and what he was trying to accomplish. So today we're going into the fourth book. The thing about Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus, Genesis is full of like exciting adventures and all of this stuff. Exodus, exciting adventures. Leviticus is like reading a hymnal. Okay, for fun. (laughs) But there's lots of good stuff in there. But now, listen, nothing happens in Leviticus. They don't go anywhere. They don't do anything. 
it is just the creation of the law, okay? So now we're back in Numbers, and in Numbers, they go places, okay? A lot of people, the reason it's called Numbers is because the first thing that happens and one of the last things that happens is God tells Moses to take a census, okay? Now, if you've read, if you happen to get through Leviticus, you know, in about the 30th try of reading the Bible cover to cover, if you happen to make it to Leviticus, my gosh, numbers don't offer a very good uh, springboard into action because it lists all of these names, but you have to understand that that's important too because before in Egypt, they were a number, a slave. In the book of Numbers with God, you have a name now. You're not just one of many. You have a name, and God knows that name. So even though we don't necessarily do that anymore or anything like that, doesn't mean that we can't derive something from it. So I'm going to give you a qu real quick take me about 30 seconds to give you an overview of the book. If you're a note taker, this will really help, okay? It will help because things happen and you got to have to be a biblical scholar because we'll look between two chapters, that might be 20 years. But if, you, if you're not studying it, you don't realize it and you think it's all one concurrent deal and then things start, start making sense. So here's the book of Numbers, five parts. Chapters 1 through 10, they are at, the, at Mount Sinai still. That's where they take the census. That's where they built the tabernacle, all of this stuff. So they're fixing to move. Sinai 1 through 10. In 10 through 12 is them traveling, okay? And then in 13 through 19, we're going to be at a place called Paran, P-A-R-A-N. Lots of stuff happens there. Then after 19, chapters 20 and 21 are more traveling, okay? And then finally the book will end and they are gonna be on the plains of Moab, which is on the west side of the Jordan River. They're gonna cross, uh, east side of the Jordan River. They're gonna cross the River Jordan in two more books. And this is, at the end of the book, it sets the stage for Deuteronomy, okay? Before they cross in, to the promised land. So you got the Sinai travel, Paran travel, Moab. Okay, that's very important. So let's talk about Sinai, chapters one through 10. This census, there's three censuses, if I'm not mistaken, in the Bible. There's this one, there's another one, and then David actually takes a census and gets in trouble for it, okay? So anyway, this is, a, this is the first census taken. God commands Moses to take a census. Now, who are they going to count? They are going to count every male child 20 years and older that can carry a weapon. That's all they're concerned about because they have to attack the promised land, right? filled with giants that we will get to, okay? So every male child, or every male 20 years and older that can carry a spear, okay? Now this is so that the armies of Israel could be established, not the army of Israel, what does it say? The armies, because each tribe is an army unto itself. Let me give you some of them. Judah, 
And so, okay, so Judah, we have been talking about, this is about the third time I've taught this, so most of you, if you've been here, should have it down by now. The way the camps are established is you have, it's the cardinal direction. There's 12 tribes, so there's three tribes on each cardinal direction. And they are under the leadership, each army is under the leadership of one tribe. So the tribe of Judah was to the east, and they had 74,600 fighting age males, 20 and above. Then you have, and, and Judah, they flew a flag that had what on it? A lion, the lion of Judah, right? So their banner, and Judah was in charge of two other uh, armies or, you know, Ephraim or whatever it was. Three would go with Judah, okay? Judah is the, is the lion. Then on the west, across from Judah, is Ephraim, okay? This is one of Joshua's, or, right? Uh, Joseph, sorry, one of Joseph's sons. Ephraim is, their banner is the ox, okay? 40,500. Then on the north side is old Dan. I like Dan. Dan and Reuben are about the only ones that we use today as real names. Dan is an eagle, okay? And they have 62,700. And then finally in the south, is Reuben, and their flag is a man, and they have 46,500. Now, why is that important? Sitting there going, oh my gosh. Don't you remember the throne room of God when we studied Ezekiel, and the angels that held up the throne of God had four faces? What were they? They had the face of a lion, they had the face of an ox, they had the face of an eagle, and the face of a man. The reason is, remember, the tabernacle and everything was a representation of the way things were in heaven. You had the tabernacle, which is the throne of God, the presence of God, and then you have four faces that surround it, right? So it all makes sense if you really think about it that everything that we're talking about today is kind of an echo of the way it is in heaven, okay? So that is the result of the census. All of that takes place in chapters one through 10 because it lists just person after person after person after person, right? You can't pronounce but like three of them. So then in 10 through 12, guess what? The cloud that hovers over the tabernacle, which represents the presence of God. There was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night and the Israelites would not move. They followed the cloud. If the cloud stayed there, they stayed there. If the cloud moved, they went with the cloud. Now why a cloud in a, in a pillar of fire? They're in the desert. God was taking care of them, right? There's a cloud to give them shade in the wilderness. Now what's the, de I said desert. But really, if you think about it, biblically speaking, the difference in a desert and a wilderness, a desert can support life. A wilderness cannot. There's nothing. There's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink, nothing. And they're gonna be going through a lot of wilderness, okay? So in travel, 10 through 12, 
This starts, and I love how specific the Bible is. It says, in the second year of the second month and the 20th day. That's, that's Numbers chapter 10. The cloud of the, ca the tabernacle starts to move. Listen, man, see, there, there's such an important message in there because we always, I think we spend more time worried about what we're gonna do than what we should be doing, right? God says, don't move until I tell you to go, right? Man, God doesn't want to tell us his plans. He wants us to follow him, right? Matthew 6, 34, Jesus refers to something along the same lines. He says, so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is quite enough. Today's trouble is enough for today, Matthew 6, 34. But see, the, this is the first real journey of the Israelites. I mean, their, their first journey from Egypt to, to uh, Mount Sinai, it was a disorganized retreat, right? Across the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army's coming. Now they are arranged and there's organization, okay? Uh, the first real journey is a nation with organization and now they're on a mission, okay? Go take, go to the promised land. But things digress pretty quickly. Why? Because they're human, just like us. Uh, it happens for, listen, and this, this is what I want you to learn about this passage. The reason things digress really quickly before we think we are more intelligent and loftier and all of this stuff than these people were, the reason the first journey digresses is the same reason churches digress today. Let's talk about it. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, soon, they're only in year two. Now, you have to think about it. They have seen Mount Sinai. They have seen the parting of the Red Sea. They saw 10 plagues. They saw the Passover. Well, that doesn't last very long. Soon, because I love the Bible, he says, God says, soon, the people begin to complain about their hardship. Anybody ever complained about their hardship? Ah, yeah. Yeah, and the Lord, <laughs> listen, and the Lord heard everything they said, right? Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp, okay? Listen, they started to complain almost immediately as they're marching, right? They started to complain almost immediately, but God, listen, it, there's about three things you need to be aware of when you read the book of Numbers. First thing is, be careful what you ask for, okay? Be careful what you ask for. And the second thing you have to remember is this, God is love, but he ain't playing, okay? God, God's not playing around. And, and, and really what you have to understand, and we'll learn more about this in Deuteronomy, is that God holds you responsible for what has been revealed to you. Now, you're fixing to find out that God kills a lot of people because of their rebellion, but the reason he does it is because they have seen so many miracles and still they doubt. So, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that God will only hold you accountable for what has been revealed to you. 
everything had been revealed to these people and they're still rebelling, okay? Keep that in mind. Number one, be careful what you ask for. Number two, God is love, but he ain't playing, okay? So they, the, then the Lord's anger blazed, blazed against them and he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Now, who's in the outskirts of the camp? Number one, it might be foreigners that are tagging along. We'll, we'll get to some of that in a minute. But it could be unclean people that keep refusing to do what God said to do. So God sends a fire to these gripers and complainers and, and the belly acres. okay? They started to complain and God takes care of them. But then Moses, love Moses, man. Moses goes and prays to God to stop the fire and have mercy and God does. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing that happens. <laughs> what was the first deal that in Numbers 11, one said soon, right? And then just in verse seven, it says, then, Numbers chapter 11, verse 7. Uh, then the foreigners, rabble traveling with them, started craving from the food from Egypt and wanted to go back to Egypt. This caused the Israelites to start complaining again. Okay? Now, what's happening? So, you've been, in, you've been a, well, you ended up a slave in Egypt. It started out as good, but as they multiplied, uh, Joseph's influence that he was like the, the vice president of Egypt at one time. And so everybody loved the Israelites. Well, Pharaoh's come and go. And after about 400 years, now they're slaves. Okay. So the foreigners and the Bible calls them rabble, rabble, right? Because these Israelites, now they didn't have the law yet. The Israelites had married Egyptians. The males had married Egyptian women, and some of the Israelite women had married Egyptian males. And so there was a lot of foreigners involved in this. And so they started craving food from Egypt. They start just belly aching again. Man, nothing is ever good enough, right? This caused the Israelites to start complaining again. Now, why is that important about they had foreigners with them? Listen... God says for us to marry other Christians with the same beliefs. He's not going to stop you from it. He just says, man, if you marry somebody that's not an Israelite and hasn't seen what you've seen and all of this stuff, I'm not going to say you can't. It's just going to make it hard on you. Okay? Like that is why... God says to, for two Christians to come together because you're already on the same page. It doesn't say that you don't have to, that you have to marry with that. You're just going to make it harder if you're unequally yoked. Okay? So, they wanted meat instead of manna. Remember what I said. In a wilderness, it cannot support life, so they must depend upon God. And he sent this thing called manna. And manna is described in Numbers chapter 7, verses 11 through 9, or 7 through 9. The manna looked like the small coriander seed, and it was pale yellow like resin gum. 
or gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pouring it into mortars, right? So they would crush it up into flour and then they boiled it in a pot and made it into tortillas. Yes, we got some carrito, it's a lamb. Woo, man, miss. Okay, so they make some tortillas and these cakes though, they tasted like pastries. The Bible says they tasted like pastries. Baked with olive oil. The manna came down in the camp with dew during the night. And they start complaining about it. And guess what? They ticked God off again. But God says, Numbers 11, verses 19 and 20. He goes, okay. And see, that's what they were complaining about. They wanted real meat instead of just tortillas. Okay, beans and tortillas probably. And so uh, God says, okay, you want meat? He sends, who knows how many quail he sends to the Israelites. But this is what God said. Numbers 11, 19 and 20. And it won't be for just a day or two or for five or 10 or even 20. You will eat this quail for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined. You have whined to him saying, when did we ever leave Egypt? <laughs> so we've got complaining. We've got unequally yoked people. We've got whiners now. <laughs> right? Then the complaining starts again. Okay. But listen, then, they, then the complaining starts again, but it ramps up because this time the people that is complaining is Moses' brother and sister. This time the people that are complaining is Aaron and Miriam, the closest people to Moses that there is. I mean, it, it started with the foreigners it creeps into the Israelites, and now it's even invading the family of Moses. Now, why is Miriam and Aaron complaining against Moses? They don't like his wife. They don't like his wife. They don't like his wife. That's it. In-laws. In-laws, see, you think, you're, you think these problems have just been recent? Oh, no. Oh, no. So, God comes down and strike and scolds uh, the two. Like, God comes down and seriously speaks to Miriam and Aaron. He said, you better knock that out right now. So, when God leaves, right, Miriam has leprosy. So she sent out of the camp. But Moses, listen, Moses prays for her and she is sent out of the camp for seven days as the law requires. And then she comes back and does the purification and her leprosy is gone. Okay, so 
God's not playing. Now I said, the same things that happened to the Israelites are still happening in the church today. Number one, unsatisfied with what God has done for you. I don't like my house. I need a new car. I mean, just unsatisfied, just, just griping and complaining because we're not thankful for what we have because our humanness, our sinful nature pays more attention to what we don't have than what we do. It still happens in churches all over the nation. You're just unsatisfied, right? How do I know that that happens? Well, I left there because I just wasn't getting fed. I want some meat. Well, be careful what you ask for, right? Kevin may start a Torah series. And you'll be sick of it till I get done for about a month, <laughs> right? So they're unsatisfied with what God offers. Second thing, marrying in relationships with non-Christians or, you know, people of a different culture. Listen, God doesn't forbid it. He just says it's going to make it a thousand times harder. Is marriage easy between two Christians? Absolutely not. Add a Muslim to it. Oh, now you really, woo, right? Don't be unequally yoked. And third, what we can learn from the Israelites in the desert or the wilderness, they were dissatisfied with the leadership. They were dissatisfied with the leadership. If you go read the passage, Miriam and Aaron said, well, you think you're the only one that God can speak through? He can speak through us too. Maybe we should be in charge. Listen, man. There's going to be some more of this later, okay? But listen, 99% of the time, church divisions come from like one or two people because they want to be the one that everybody knows. It's a pride issue, right? Quite frankly, ask those closest to me. I can't stand being the boss. I cannot stand it. I dislike every part of it, and I'm scared that's why God put me in there. Right? Because I, I just can't stand it. And so uh, it's not, usually it's not theological disagreements that tear churches apart. It's that they want the attention. So these things still go on today despite everything that God has revealed to us. So anyway, now we are in, now the Israelites get to the place called Paran. Now what I didn't tell you is that the census and everything that goes to Paran was in 1445 BC, okay? Give you the time frame. Now we're in Paran, and this is chapters 13 through 19, and the, and the coolest part about this section is this is where they send the spies, okay? He tell, Moses goes out and says, each one of the uh, tribes must select somebody to go into the promised land. I wanna know what the land is like, because they've never been there. I wanna know what the land is like. I wanna know what you know, capabilities it has for farming and ranching. And I wanna know what the people like, what are their cities fortified like. Go give us a report, right? So when they come back, eight out of the 10 spies say, it's impossible. Oh yeah, there's big cities. There's lots of people, and it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Like when they came back, you know the story. 
two guys had a pole between them and one bunch of grapes took two men to carry. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel, that is their logo for their tourism is two men with a pole carrying a bunch of grapes. Okay, so it is a land. So eight out of 10 say it's impossible. But Doc and Wyatt also, that's their English names. Okay, <laughs> Doc and Wyatt, their Hebrew names were Joshua and Caleb. But I call them Doc and Wyatt because Doc and Wyatt are like, let's go. We gonna do this. We're going to do this. I mean, I, I can, I can see, I can see uh, Caleb. I love Caleb in the Bible. I can see him saying, you tell him I'm coming and God's coming with me. Right? I mean, that was their attitude. That was their attitude. Like, let's go, man. God defeated all those people in the Red Sea and he's done this and that. Let's go. And everybody else, it's too hard. Oh my gosh. But listen, there is only one reason that eight out of 10 people said, don't go there. What was it? Giants. Listen, you will hear two out of three churches say, well, they weren't really giants. No, they were really giants. Why were giants in the land of Canaan? Because it could support them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's also the land where Canaan, who was uh, Noah's grandson, that's where he settled, was in that deal. Listen, the, there was only one reason that three million people, well, 80% of three million people, didn't want to go into the promised land. It's because there was some big dudes there. And by big, I don't mean tall. I mean like... Nine feet, 12 feet, 15 feet tall, okay? In Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, it says, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too, that we were like grasshoppers. Listen, man, if you don't believe in the supernatural, how can you believe Jesus rose from the dead? There was giants there because the Bible says that there were giants. Okay? I don't have to have proof of that. I believe every word of the word of God. And I'm not going to spiritualize everything. I think there's spiritual lessons we can learn from everything. But what the Bible says happened. Right? But this is what Wyatt and Doc say. Do, well, Caleb and Joshua, you know what I mean. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And that is faith right there unsurmountable obstacle that you go right at. Well, you're not going to be able to do it. But if God is with you, he can do it. Because with man, it's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. So, and this is the result of eight out of 10. Numbers chapter 14, 21 and 22. 
But as surely as I live and surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter the land. They have all been seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Numbers 14, 21 and 22. So listen, in Deuteronomy, next week we'll learn, this was an 11 day journey that turned into 40 years. All because of fear and complaining. All because fear and complaining. Complaining leads to fear, fear leads to rebellion, and rebellion leads to death. Be careful what you ask for. And then the showdown. Okay, the showdown. Now, between, uh, the, in, starting in Numbers chapter 16, okay? Numbers chapter 16. Now, the spies are sent in Numbers chapter 14, and it talks about that and a few other things that I just, you cannot fit everything into a sermon. But when Numbers chapter 16 gets there, okay, so we have gone from Sinai, we've traveled, now we're in Paran. Between chapters 15 and 16 is 19 years. 19 years between 15 and 16. Okay? And they're still at Paran. They're still at Paran. Numbers chapter 16, verse 3. They united against Moses and Aaron and says, you have gone too far. Now, now this is just the Israelites. They've been there 19 years. They're mad. They united against Moses and Aaron. You have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. So what right do you have to act as though you are greater than us? That's what we've got again. Complaining, jealousy, questioning leadership. I feel so sorry for Moses. I can barely handle y'all, much less three million. Okay? I can barely handle y'all. No wonder Moses is just like, just kill me, God. Just kill me. I don't even want to go to the promised land anymore. Just kill me. Right? Okay. So, this is from a guy named Korah. K-O-R-A-H. Korah is a Levite. Okay? The priests come from the Levites. Okay? So, Korah leads a rebellion. And so, Moses is like... All right, Cora, I'll meet you at the OK Corral tomorrow at high noon. And here's the deal. He said, if I'm right, the ground is going to open up and swallow all y'all rebellious people. You'll go down into hell immediately. But if you're right, you'll live a long life. And so Cora's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because it's been 19 years, right? It's been 19 years. So they meet at the OK Corral, and Korah and his people and 250 others are swallowed up by the earth opens up, fire is down below, and they fall in. Listen, I told you in the beginning, you can't read numbers if you do not believe in the supernatural. You cannot, because God works in ways that man cannot, and he does it for a reason, so that we will have faith that what he says is true. So, beware of posers. Korah was a Levite, but he wasn't a priest. He was a poser. Even though he might have had a title of priest, he was a poser. 
and he starts to try to divide the leader against everybody, or everybody else against the leadership. Listen, there is only one reason I have only thrown one man out of church since 2011 when I was a pastor, and it was for that reason right there. God doesn't tolerate division, and neither do I. You want to get sent packing? Go start trying to make a little rebellion. Now, you can come talk to me about anything, but this isn't what was happening. They were trying to get people in behind Moses' back, right? God is serious about this. As a matter of fact, the next day, there was still more complaining, and God sent a plague that killed another 14,700. What did I say? God ain't playing. And he does not like division within his body of Christ. And he doesn't like complaining when he has blessed us so much. Right? So, anyway, with that being said, the way God handles this is he said, get every tribe, including Aaron, and have them bring a staff to me, a walking staff. So they do, and they're supposed to write their names on it, and Aaron writes his name on it, and they go put it by the Ark of the Covenant, and then Moses goes back in there to get it, and Aaron's rod had flowered, bloomed, and had almonds hanging off of it, so that everybody would know that God chooses the leaders, you don't. And the same thing still applies today. The same thing still applies today. Now, let's get to current events. Numbers chapter 19, verses 2 and 3. Here is another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eleazar the priest, and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in its presence. Not, not in the tabernacle, outside where they can see it. Now, they're going to use these, they're going to, Kill this red heifer, and it has to be a perfect red heifer, okay? So they do that, and then they take the ashes, and it's used in the cleansing ceremonies. Now, why did I say that that was current events? Because in 1996, there's a place in Israel called the Temple Institute. And since 1996, they've been looking for a solid, unblemished red heifer. According to Jewish tradition, there's only been nine found since the creation of the earth. And they found one in Texas. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But listen. Listen. Why did I say that this is current events? Because you have to sacrifice that heifer between two and three years old. The Jews can't go up on the temple mount where that Muslim temple is because they're not ceremonially clean. And the reason that they're not ceremonially clean, that's a hard word, ceremonially clean is because they don't have a red heifer. Well, now they do. Hamas came out last week and their spokesperson said the reason for the October 7th attack on Israel was to dispel the myth of the red heifer. Now, what does that mean? They have to, con they have to sacrifice that heifer and take the ashes so they can go build the temple. They have to do that. And what do we know about the third temple? The one that isn't here yet. 
the one that can't be built yet because the red heifer hasn't been sacrificed and burned and the ashes and all of that is because we know that three and a half years into the biblical tribulation that the Antichrist sets himself up in the Jewish temple in the Holy of Holies and demands uh, worship as God. Guys, we are living in a momentous time they were gonna sacrifice that heifer at the end of October. I think, I believe at the Feast of Tabernacles. They have until September to sacrifice that red heifer, the 10th one found in the history of the earth so they can rebuild their temple. If you don't think we're in the end days, your ears are closed and your eyes are shut. And I'm not putting a date or time on it. And I heard it said this week that Israel had to be a nation before the tribulation, before Jesus comes back. Israel had to be a nation, right? And so here's an end times clock. Israel is the hour hand. Jerusalem is the minute hand. And the temple mount is the second hand. And they're all moving. Okay? If you'd like to talk more about it, come talk to me afterwards. So, uh, between chapters 19 and 20, when you, when you finish chapter 19 about the red heifer and all that stuff, another 19 years passes, okay? Now, this is when Moses messes up. Because once again, uh, this is where Miriam dies, okay? It's at a place called Kadesh. The people start complaining about not having water and they blame Moses. But who are they really complaining against? God. God, I mean, the tabernacle still has a cloud over it. Moses doesn't make the decisions. God does. If the cloud stays, Moses stays. If the cloud moves, Moses says, pack it up, let's go. Right? This is where Miriam dies. The people start complaining and God tells Moses, go speak to that rock and tell water to come out of it and it'll happen. But Moses is sick and tired. You ever been sick and tired? Have you ever just had enough? In Spanish, basta, bastante. You just ever had enough? Well, Moses has had enough. And in Exodus, the same thing happens. But God told Moses, strike that rock with your staff and water will come out of it. But this time, God says, speak to the rock. But Moses is having a bad day. And he walks over there with his rod and what? Swings it like Sammy Sosa. And water comes out of it. But as a result of that, Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land. So y'all thought I was like, look at me because I'm the leader and y'all got to tell me what, I get to tell y'all what to do. Make no mistake about it. You don't want to be in leadership because God will hold me and Moses a lot more accountable for what happens than he does you. It's God's not playing. Okay. So uh, one more thing real quick. There's a, because they're complaining and everything, God sends venomous snakes to bite a bunch of people and people start dropping like that. And they cry out to Moses. You know, they're complaining, right? How narcissistic are they? Moses, save us. Moses, save us, right? So God tells Moses, listen, I'm gonna help you out. All these people that are dying of snake bites, make a pole, put a serpent on it, Hold it up in the air, and anybody that looks at it 
will be healed. Now, are we worshiping snakes now? No, it was, a, it was a thing. Do you remember in Genesis where God curses a serpent? It says, you will strike her heel, but he will crush your head. It was saying, look at this, God has power over snakes. And if you have faith, because when Jesus died on the cross, he nailed death to it, right? So we look up and have faith and we are healed just like they were in the Bible. They, even with venomous snakes, God is in control. Okay, so after that, and I'm, I'm not gonna go through these stories, after that is the story of Balaam. Remember Balaam and the talking donkey? Y'all thought I was gonna do it, didn't you? I prayed about it. <laughs> so anyway, basically what happens is Balaam's riding a donkey. He's supposed to go curse the Israelites. An angel's trying to stop him from doing it. The donkey sees the angel and doesn't go. And Balaam whoops his donkey. And finally, God allows the donkey to speak with human words. And if you're not that, and the donkey says, why are you doing this to me? Have I not been faithful to you and carried you everywhere you wanted to go? Have I ever done this before? And if you think that's wild, Balaam talks back. He's like, no, I didn't do that. You know, the donkey says no. And y'all think that's weird? You talk to your animals too. And you think they're talking back to you. Right? It did. It did. It did happen. Okay. So anyway, Balaam, listen, th this is the interesting part about Balaam. And I did not know this. Did you know that Balaam is mentioned more in the Bible than the mother of Jesus and all 12 disciples? Balaam is mentioned 59 times specifically in the Bible, right? Balaam can't curse Israel. He said, how can I curse what God has blessed? And he says, out of Jacob, out of Israel will become a star and a scepter. What does that mean? The star represents God. The scepter represents king. A God king will come from Israel. Who is that? Jesus, right? So Balaam can't, he can't curse Israel, but before he leaves, this is what he says. And you young men, listen to me. You have to understand that everybody in the first census, 20 years and older, the only two that will enter the promised land is Doc and Wyatt, Caleb and Joshua. Everybody else is gonna be dead. Balaam can't curse Israel. He said, I can't do it. I, I tried, I can't do it. But he tells Balak, the king of the Amorites, he goes, but let me tell you how you can do something on your own. He said, take your young women with their idols and have them go seduce the young men. And it works. Young men, be aware, okay? Beware, yeah. She may be hot, so is hell. That went over a lot better than I thought it would. <laughs> so the, one of the last things in numbers starts with a census, ends with a census, okay? Starts with a census, ends with a census. Uh, listen, about the net result, this time I think they count everybody 19 and older for some reason, but, or maybe it says older than 19, and it is still 20, I was unclear about that. But anyway, the net result 
out of three million after 40 years of wandering in the desert is they were about a thousand people short. That's it. Statisticians call that zero growth. 40 years, an entire generation gone. An entire generation gone. Is there a lesson that we can take from these two censuses? Yeah, I think so. Listen, you're gonna have problems in your life no matter what. That is one of the most, I think the devil has infiltrated our churches and said that when you become a Christian, all your problems are gonna go away. That is not true whatsoever. You're gonna have problems. It doesn't matter if you follow Christ or don't. Here's the deal. Do you want him to deal with them or do you wanna carry them? That's it. You're gonna have problems either way. Are you going to take them upon yourself and try to force the outcome that you desire, which is going to result in an 11 day journey becoming 40 years and we don't know if you'll make it or not. You're gonna have problems. You've got problems right now that you're trying to solve, that you want a particular outcome. If you learn anything from the book of Numbers, step back. Give your life to God, including your problems, and say, God, my job in this is to trust you. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for who you are, and the glorious richness of your word is totally unending. And I pray right now that there's a seed planted that people will come to repentance after they ask you to be their Lord and Savior and to make you, God, the Lord of their life and their problems and their love and what they do with their hands and their minds and their mouths. But all of it hinges on offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God and say, God, you have my life. And no matter what happens, no matter the giants, no matter the snakes, no matter the complaining and the doubts, you are in control of my life. And I pray that many people will be led to baptism where they can identify with the death, burial, and resurrection so that those of us who are still left alive when Jesus comes back, that we may be reunited with him. That is my prayer for every single person. God, I pray for the fullness of the Gentiles to arrive so that we can get the party started. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.